Alright everybody, welcome to the May 26th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got Chris and JJ with me here this week. How are you guys doing? Hello, good. Doing well. How are you? I am, I'm doing alright. We skipped last week, so we've got uh, a couple weeks worth of things to talk about. Uh, Chris is on A, just because we like having him on now, it's a new voice. And B, uh, lots happened on the Mueller Probe. It's now reached its one year anniversary, which is... Uh, well, ancient, if you ask the Republicans, but really just in its baby steps, if you look at any other uh, presidential investigation in history. So, uh, right. Yeah. Is some that outlived the administration they started in. Uh, we also had a, a few things happen. Gina Haspel was confirmed despite uh, rather strenuous opposition on Capitol Hill. Uh, the Senate has taken a vote on net neutrality that will go absolutely nowhere. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, but still, it, it's a signal. It's a, What do they call it on the alt-right? Virtue signaling? Uh, that, that's what it was. It was the Senate being on record as saying they're, they're not jerks. That's a dirty term. Yeah, I know, right? Like that of, just sounds gross. One of my favorite things to be doing, and I think it's kind of widespread on the left now, is to kind of hold up a mirror and reflect the, the language of the alt-right back at them. Uh, it started pretty heavily with snowflakes. The conservatives who just, like, block anybody on Twitter if they don't like what they're saying on the left, calling them alt-right snowflakes became a big thing. Uh, and then, yeah, the, what was it, feels before, or reels before feels, or whatever they were saying, like, three or four years ago. Just turning that all around and shining that language right back at them has been kind of cathartic in a way. I don't know if it yeah. makes me a bad yeah. person, yeah, but it, it definitely is. feels pretty good. It really does. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I guess we'll start off with that Gina Haspel uh, talk. This was one that was looking, well, it was looking conflicted, and the CIA was actually preparing uh, kind of standby plans in case she didn't get confirmed who they'd rather go with. And there were some people on that list who seemed to have pretty wide support from both the left and the right. I'm curious as to why they just pulled the trigger on that and became the number one combined. Uh, but there was a last-minute bipartisan outreach. Uh, John Brennan, Obama's director of the CIA, notably went pretty heavy for Haspel, uh, both on and off social media and then on the Sunday shows when he couldn't vote. And in the yeah. end, uh, she was confirmed. Uh, this was despite a internally not internally excuse me independent council uh, I believe that's what it was investigation uh, or IG whatever that is uh, investigation of CIA that said that she had acted uh, not appropriately when she deleted evidence of torture at a black site she managed um, her defense has always been kind of the Nuremberg one uh, that's what the people told me to do which. I'm sympathetic to in one case, but on the other hand, it doesn't make it okay. And this was a direct link to an era in our country where we felt it was okay to torture. And as much as I can appreciate the argument of John Brennan and others that this she, she was not a political appointment, she was a career intelligence officer. She served under the administrations of both parties for thirty years. As much as I can appreciate what he said, this felt like a wonderful opportunity to draw a line. feel like we lost a good opportunity there. Yeah, I'd say 
at the strongest, we said that it won't happen while the Democrats in office. Um, but that's not a whole lot. And with Democrats signing off on this, you know, it also doesn't really send that message either. The the Democratic defectors who voted to confirm her uh, basically got out of her uh, promise not to torture again, which is probably the shittiest concession they could possibly have. <laughs> they, they, they got her to go in front of Congress and say torturing was wrong and we will never repeat that mistake. And that, that was it. And by the way, everybody could say that don't have to you know, right. be especially good at lying to get away with that one. Well, it's kind of like Jeff Sessions during his confirmation session said all kinds of things that you knew didn't reflect his actual views, but he knew he had to say them for confirmation purposes. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I don't necessarily know if uh, torturing is in the, the personal morals of Gina Haspel. I just know for a fact she's willing to do it when the people in charge tell her to do it and that's enough for me to say maybe we shouldn't like go down this path <laughs> yeah and and her past comfortability does suggest that now she's in the top chair that she's not against pulling out that tool again yeah yeah i think one of the things that um I don't know how much it alarmed me, but it upset me, perhaps, is the word, <laughs> is that during this whole period, you know, Cheney came back onto the scene to say, actually, this is great, and we should have kept doing it. Like, just brought it right back. Yeah, yeah, they're really quick to, like, snap up that narrative and just be like, oh, no, this was always only the best option. It was still a good idea. It still did a great thing, even though facts say completely otherwise so which i mean has kind of become the gop playbook and and it is working very well for them i was actually going to bring this to uh, uh, like there's two types of conservatives type of this is not really true because there's really only one most of america is but uh, john mccain who happened to be one of the strongest voices on the right again excuse me against waterboarding back under the Bush administration. There's a new book, he comes out and he says, you know, after gathering all the facts and seeing what's happened, I feel comfortable admitting that the Iraq war was a mistake. You don't see that from many politicians on the right. They, they view changing your opinion as admitting a weakness. And yeah. that's, God, that's just such a bad quality to have in somebody in charge of intelligence agencies. Because, I mean, I mean that's a, a tightrope walk and i i'm entirely appreciative of that we have agencies that we all want to be spying we all want them to be collecting as much intelligence as they can but only about certain things and having to like keep them corralled when all their natural instincts are to gather as much information as they can that is a hard job and i appreciate that but i don't think she would be able to do it and i think that having that attitude the whole don't admit mistakes makes it even more difficult. You have to have the strength of this organization to be like, okay, we were wrong here. Let's let's do this differently this time. And it just sets up such queer 
you know, dynamics when you have that admitting any mistakes is weakness. That's so prevalent in Dread. It does play very well into for their base, though. Uh, speaking of other things the Senate is doing that don't matter, um, they, they took a vote on net neutrality to roll back the, uh, the FCC regulations. It has been kind of a nail-biter. Um, they had 50 votes. They were not going to be able to get it passed by Vice President. Uh, high-breaking vote until John McCain basically said he's not going to be Senator anymore. Um, he's in a very public process of dying. It's rather morbid and something I don't seen before. Even Ted Kennedy didn't have this sort of like public death going on. He's even doing like a final excuse me, a final book tour where he talks about um, what it's like to be passing on and all that. But uh, they finally tabled it since he's not in the Senate anymore thinking 50 to 49 was going to be enough to get it through. They ended up picking up a couple they weren't expecting. Uh, Lisa Murkowski, who was one that they had been lobbying for quite a while, but she'd been very noncommittal. She ended up coming across the aisle. And uh, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, I believe, uh, a yeah. Republican, who, at least to me, and I haven't been following this that closely, so maybe he was more gettable than I thought, but that one seemed completely out of left field. Yeah, so I don't think of it as being... Um totally useless although it is functionally useless because the house is not going to pass it and trump will not right. sign it so it's, yeah nothing will well, happen in that sense it's totally useless however if you if you want to make a case that you should be back in power in the legislature i think it helps to show look these are the kinds of things that we're prepared right now today to do and if you give us the levers, we'll actually do them. Yeah, it's a good point. Can't argue there. If they were really willing to pull those levers, though, they could do Title Two tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. What they do they have to do for Title Two again? Just declare it Title Two. It's literally all they have to do. They have to put in writing in a law that says the FCC has to do this under Title II, and then it is a public utility, and the FCC has to ensure like equal access, equal treatment, all that jazz. Mm -hmm. they, they weren't able to do it under Obama. And all these people saying that they'll step up for net neutrality, we could pass this basically tomorrow. I mean, it would be the same thing. The House won't touch it. Trump won't sign and, it. Yeah, and Trump still isn't going to sign it, but soon, you know, if, if this blue wave happens, then yeah. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll move on to the other big, well, the other big news. We'll have a longer story. We're going to talk uh, quite a bit about Mueller and the one-year anniversary for Crow, but the other uh, big thing that happened with the Trump world was the Korea summit, which wasn't on and then was on again, except it didn't have Trump in it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, North Korea called President or Vice President Pence stupid, which, I mean, let's be fair, we were all thinking it. Uh, 
but this caused Trump to kind of break the last straw, pulled out of it. He wrote a very touching love letter to Kim Jong-un. He did. Yeah. He did. A strangely personal letter. Yeah. It was adorable. I mean, they were one step away. I don't know if you guys noticed the like crack for the coin in the middle that divides it. I was, I was seriously like halfway to thinking that they were going to turn that into two like BFF pendants, and when they finally reunite, we'll join them again. Um, because of the way that was special. Yeah, they can't sell those to everybody, but it definitely happened. Uh, and so it, it canceled. Although Trump wants it to happen again, he he wrote this letter, and like Chris said, it was strangely personal and it was very touching and it expressed longing and deep desire to make this happen and it sounded like a world war one love letter to your your bestest babe back home um but then the koreas had their own summit without trump happened as a surprise kim jong-un and um president i don't know how to remember the actor's name from the documentary that saw him being president uh, moon is it moon yeah i see i was gonna say that but then i thought of a thing to say with the plural because of the, the Moonies, the church. Okay, uh, yeah, and they, they had their own peace summit, uh, stealing some thunder out of the uh, the White House there. I think it's positive they're still talking. I think it's entirely predictable that this summit is going to fall apart, especially because neither side really wanted it to happen. North Korea had done none of the preparation, which is not unique to them. They make most of their diplomatic decisions at the 11th we only knew they were going to be competing as one team at the Olympics, I, I think, like 10 days beforehand. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are they are not the type to make preparations. They like to keep their options open, the other side guessing. Uh, and then, kind of like Trump. I was just going to say, and then on the other hand, the <laughs> American president, uh, Mr. Trump, was not in any way involved in any sort of the planning, except for the pageantry. He was all about that, according to the Washington Post, who said that the staff was somewhat alarmed that Trump was way more interested in where the guards were going to be standing and what sort of displays were going to be ongoing. And some suspect the design of that pageantry was pretty coin uh, and not the actual content of the summit itself. The interior decorator in chief. Not enough gold. God save the linens. <laughs> and then, so, I'm sorry, continue. Oh well, I was just going to say one of the one of the things I've read about that is that apparently there was a lot of last minute communication between China and Korea, North Korea, because China was actually somewhat alarmed that <laughs> there might be some fundamental transformation. It actually served their purposes to have a divided Korea. That's a kind of a rattling around threat. To a certain extent, they need stability, and North Korea had been extremely unstabilizing for a while. They prefer North Korea that just shuts up. But they like it divided because it keeps attention off of them as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I know I bring this up a lot, but we learned from the, uh, the diplomatic cable leaks on, on WikiLeaks that China is prepared and accepting of eventuality of I don't think they necessarily want it. They just want Kim Jong-un not provoking a nuclear war. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's too inconvenient. Because yeah. slightly disruptive Korea is kind of their optimal. China understands 
time on like a completely different scale. They've had an unbroken civilization for over 5,000 years that is recognizable as China. Taiwan have been more or less an independent country for 60 years and they still just think of it as a, you know, an uppity province. They are totally fine just waiting this shit out as long as North Korea doesn't piss into Cheerios. Uh, all right. The the other, I guess, big national story before we get into any other things was uh, primaries. We had some Democratic primaries in a couple places uh, that are of note. Seven of those seats were up last Tuesday and then a couple the week before. Uh, Nebraska 02, which is the Omaha seat. The DNC got involved with that and ended up uh, losing that out to the, I guess we call it the people's champion, although I'm old to frame it that way. <laughs> uh, and then we had a slate of much more traditional races this last Tuesday, the most interesting of which was Texas 07. This was mm-hmm. the Moser race. This is one where the DNC also got involved. They, they have largely stayed out of the primaries this year. There, there have been a couple times where they've stepped over the line. New, uh, Nebraska 02 was one. Texas 07 was the other, although in Texas 07 they took a strange tact, I think probably because they were having to attack somebody who was so outwardly progressive, but they actually did not promote a candidate. They just completely trashed on one. Uh, Laura Moser is a, a rather prominent voice on the left, uh, especially among women's issues. She had captured a lot of progressive energy. She also really hates Texas and was not shy about talking about how much she hates Texas to the Washington media while she was living in Washington. She even called the district she was running to represent a shithole she would never go back to. Uh, and then she wanted to be their congressman or congresswoman. Uh, it's a solid strategy. Yeah, yeah this, uh, this caused some alarm at the DNC, and they, they eventually decided they had to get involved. Uh, but I guess because she is so beloved by the progressive left, and especially the, the women's progressive left, uh, like I said, they took the unusual step. They only trashed her. They didn't actually pick anybody else. Um, although she did still make it to the runoff, where she got pretty roundly trounced, I, I think. Ended up losing 66 to 34 or something like that, um, which was the race the DNC needed to go their way. They also lost a race in Kentucky 06, which was extremely bitter, but all, also not one they really cared about. Uh, it was the race that they, they were most happy to lose, I guess. They could afford to lose the most, because that was the way to go. But it, um, the teams on the ground really hated each other. Although having the progressive champion win on that account, I think, may help. I don't know how much I'm stereotyping here, but I think party Dems are more likely to get behind the party candidate, whoever that may be. Well, rank-and-file people will rank-and-file at the end of the day. Yeah. Which, you know, kind of means maybe we should try some more progressive candidates and some seats we don't think about, but maybe. Well, I think that's the argument I would make, that you should run... Well, so the the line you often hear is you should run the most progressive candidate you can in a progressive district. I also think maybe you should run the most progressive candidate you can in a district you don't have a shot in hell in, because I, why not? I'm, I'm starting to think that way, too. I, I held to that initial uh, you know, platitude you gave, run the most progressive candidate you can in 
you say that that just hurts. But the more I think about it, the, the more I think you're right. The rank and file Dems are going to line up. Uh, that's why the rank and file Dems. Maybe we can get away with it as long as we don't scare the center. You know, a, a Sherrod Brown type, maybe not a a Missawant type. Well, I think too that. Um you know, in less competitive districts, it's a much longer-term plan. It's about getting those seeds of really, really progressive ideas into right. that kind of debate. It's, it's about shifting the overall needle on debate and the narrative to the point in which any left candidate looks better. JJ, you're among friends. You can be honest. We're talking about a Vanguard movie. That's what Marcus said. <laughs> um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that is exactly what you're describing. <laughs> I'm just saying we need to uh, move the needle back, bro. It's cool. <laughs> We're all friends here. <laughs> I, I'm with you, JJ. I mean, of course, I'm also known with to Marks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A secret disconnect, discontented radical, but um, <laughs> no, I actually think this is a I, I lesson a we could learn. Is... The Republicans have been very good at moving the Overton window over the last yeah. twenty-five years or so. They've perfected that down to an art. We could learn a thing or two from from Marx on, on that regard, right? I mean, they've made the whole they made a whole spectrum of things they talk about mainstream things, even in cases where they didn't win by just talking about them so much and exactly. putting the people out there who were advocating for them. I, I mean, seriously, when waterboarding came under fire, they started talking about, you know, fucking medieval torture techniques as if, hey, <laughs> this isn't an Iron Maiden, so it's not so bad. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Wow. Yeah, if they can do that, surely we can make an argument with something sensible and progressive. Like, well, so maybe in some districts you don't need the Democratic candidate who is afraid to even utter the word abortion because they're trying so hard to pretend to be a Republican candidate. On that note, uh, just kind of randomly thrown out there, did you guys uh, see the results come in in the Irish referendum? Yeah. Yes, abortions for all Catholics. Well, it's a great day for Ireland. So the government is only planning to legalize in cases of um, rape and, and incest and whatnot, but they needed to actually change the constitution to do it. I, I strongly suspect within a few years we'll have a government that goes somewhat farther than that. But yeah, there's now no constitutional prohibition on abortion. Yeah, I think it'll... Oh, God, I mean, I can't imagine more than five years before there's a major, major dial move on that one for them. One of the big movers on this was actually Brexit. It hasn't been that much of a deal because Irish women can literally just scroll across the street into Northern Ireland and get one there in the UK where it's totally legal. With that becoming a hard border and, you know, no more EU back and forth and whatever, uh, there needs to be options in Ireland at this point because otherwise you have to find somewhere to fly to another country. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, yeah, let's let's pull it into the big topic, the one I imagine we'll spend most of our time on. It is the Beijing Polytechnic University. <laughs> 
Mueller has now been at this for a year. There's been a lot of movement. We're expecting to see uh, Papadopoulos sentenced, which means he's been milked for all the information that the prosecutor needs out of him. Right. He has been wrung dry, so now they're allowing him to go to sentencing. Um, there's been some talk about uh, Michael Cohen's business partner flipping. The business partner has strongly denied that and says he's cooperating for his own interest and not interested in Cohen. So now they're saying, sure, buddy, whatever you say. Uh, Wabshia, Kluis, and Chris, you are our, our all-time tracker of what Bond is up to. <laughs> and he is up to so many things, too. Um, what's So, gosh, so many things have happened that I kind of don't know where to start. I will say it kind of seems remarkable to me off and on that he's still there because <laughs> there have been several moments in the past year when I really thought that the Trump team was, like, edging itself in on doing something drastic. Apparently, he's tried to fire him a couple times. Several times, yeah. And all the kind of moderating influences who have talked him out of it have been slowly worked out of the administration, so maybe the next time this happens, that won't go that way. That's terrible. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess what interests me is each time that there's one of these... Uh, you know, kerfluffles, and it takes up a lot of oxygen and distraction. It doesn't actually distract him from doing what he's doing. <laughs> so meanwhile, for another few weeks, he's been interviewing witnesses and probably issuing subpoenas and sealed indictments we don't know about yet and all these things. You know, and the more body of stuff there is, it becomes harder to make it kind of all go away, even if you get rid of him. So where, where are we on these indictments? I know he's requested a bunch of, of sealed ones, or uh, sealed subpoenas. What are we expecting him to go to here? Because, like you said, a year's a long time. We're surprised he's hung on. He seems to be popping up kind of reasons to stay around quickly enough uh, that whenever Trump gets a little bit angsty to get rid of him, uh, pressure becomes too great. Yeah. Well, I mean, most immediately he's preparing for trial with for Manafort, and the the trial that's sooner is the one he's actually having more trouble with, which is the one in Virginia, where the judge really gave him a pretty hard grilling the last time they were in court. You know, basically along the lines of, "You're not actually interested in this case against <laughs> against this person. You're doing this purely to kind of try and put pressure on him," um, but. The judge didn't rule against him. The judge didn't toss out the case or rule that parts of it couldn't go forward. You know, he just kind of did some hard-thumping questioning. Is that, so that actually a legal, like, reason to toss it out? Yeah, I don't know what the... I mean, it's not like anybody the, going after Al Capone was really interested in tax evasion. Right. They were really wanting to get him for being a goddamn gangster. But you, you charge a crime you can prove. As long as Mueller can prove it, what does the judge care if that's what he really wanted to get him for? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I imagine the judge would still have to, well, I mean, first of all, the judge could do anything they wanted, but it would generate its own controversy and review if it didn't have good legal foundation. Yeah, they, I think that they'd ultimately have to argue that Mueller didn't have standing in some regard, but... Yeah. You know, not 
obviously not something that they felt they could swing. And I think the judge in the Washington case is actually um, on that same question, as Vandefort has repeatedly tried to get it tossed out, came down with a ruling that pretty firmly said, no, this is within the scope of the investigation. It's clearly within the scope of the investigation, and it's ridiculous to argue that it's not. Rosenstein had to go to Capitol Hill and kind of explain that to uh, Republican members of the Chief Justice Committee. Yeah. There was a secret briefing this week that covered both his memo outlining Mueller's probe and responsibilities as well as uh, the kerfuffle that's gone on about the FBI having uh, some sort of an informant in that case. There, there's one of many things about this I want to talk about, yeah. <laughs> I think that's, like so many of these things, right, that's turned out to be a really dark-sounding whispering campaign that as soon as it got down to anybody sitting down to look at the facts of it, immediately collapses. But I don't think these things are there to move forward on the facts. I think they're there to kind of widen the base of people that the, the whole investigation is discredited for. What you know, mean they, well, they say like one of the classic things is everybody hears about an initial story. Nobody hears about the retraction later. So everybody hears... Oh, FBI informants spying the Trump campaign. Nobody hears the more nuanced. No, actually, that was all bullshit. The uh, the conspiracy going on the right is just you're right. It's it's just an attempt to discredit as many people on that front front as possible. Get out of have to actually argue on the merits about it. Yeah, and I think obviously it doesn't. It doesn't affect the legal standing of the case at all. The legal standing of the case goes forward based on what it's based on, and it obviously won't affect the left. I don't even think it's affecting the center that much, but it's kind of widening the circle of the right that the entire thing is discredited for. right? Like the kind of baseline of the Republican Party is now this is an illegitimate witch hunt that's about nothing. And really continuing to pave the way for when sentencing comes and more indictments come, a more energetic and angry appeal of false justice. I think we've already seen a lot of that groundwork laid. There was that poll that came out a couple weeks ago that had 51%, a Quinnipiac poll, so it wasn't like some garbage self-reported shit. It had 51% of the Republican Party believing that, uh, quote, a free press is the enemy of the people. Yes. That's that is preparing somebody for the world of alternate facts is straight up. I or or that we've already fully embraced them. Yeah. And if if ha half of us at least have totally embraced it. Oh boy. So uh yeah, on that happy note. Giuliani now thinks Mueller is going to wrap it up by September. He said Mueller's people have told him that's when they anticipate wrapping it up. <laughs> Which they then came out and said was totally not true. So there's there's good indications that he just put that out there to kind of create it as a target. I had not actually heard that they had denied it. Uh, yeah. I thought they had refused to comment on it. That is hilarious. Uh, we can all remember the last head of Trump's legal defense, whoever the hell that was, talking about how it would be over by the end of December, January, the That's latest. Right. 
So this is a repeating pattern of theirs. Yeah, well, apparently that's also something that they internally were trying to tell Trump for a long time just to keep him calmed down. I think he's probably caught on at this point that it's not really. <laughs> so he needed to hear it on TV to make sure it was real. Right. They had, they had to re-comb him down on TV. That makes sense. Speaking of TV, did you guys see his second appearance on Fox and Friends? Or he set up for a second appearance on Fox and Friends? Oh, boy. Oh, no. Really? Yeah. It's now like a real thing. He is a Fox and Friends regular. Oh, my God. I wonder what he made Fox do to Dude, let him do that. I don't think he made them do anything. You know those people grow up wanting to be on their favorite TV show. And sometimes you become so famous to make it happen. Iggy Pop was an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Just because he always wanted to be on Star Trek. <laughs> Trump watches Fox and Friends every day of the goddamn week. And this is just, oh my god, he gets to be like up there with his heroes on TV. He does not yeah. get a goddamn thing for this. It is so gross. Uh, our other favorite poster boy of the, the West Wing and uh, a popular target of the Mueller investigation uh, got his security clearance back. Uh, Kushner. Yeah. Just in time to get involved in some shady shit with uh, various Gulf powers. And I believe Eric Prince is involved in this somehow, who is uh, the founder of Blackwater, the brother, yeah. brother-in-law of Betsy DeVos. And uh, lied to Congress about going to these countries to get, uh, well, aid and comfort for the, the Trump campaign from foreign governments. I mean, I, I feel like this is the, the, the easy story on how Betsy got her job. I think, it, you know, everybody said it was a lot more than campaign donations. Yeah, but she'd also been angling for the job. That I find less shady, but you know maybe that's just me being stupid. The conspiracies are right in front of my face. Like well, I remember her angling know. for this job under the Bushes. Really? Wow. Yeah, she was wanting to really up the investment in private colleges and get rid of State Street. Oh, they liked that Bush. kind of thing. I'm surprised it didn't work then. Anyway. Yeah. Continue. Well, I was just going to say that this this whole thing has got me kind of unnerved because it reminds me of when you read, you know, like when you read history books about empires that are starting to fall apart and foreign powers come in and they're like, we're going to try and get our guy elected emperor. No, we're going to try and get our guy elected emperor. That is basically what these – the United Arab Emirates, Russia – the Saudis said, hey, let's see if we can get someone who's friendly to us elected. Like, not in a, not in a, like, letting their preferences subtly be known kind of way, but in an actual meeting with people in the campaign and funneling donations and all of those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of shady thing that we've done in Central America for in South America forever. It's <laughs> right. I I know what this looks like, and it and it doesn't look good, and it <laughs> and it definitely walks and talks like a duck. 
and I guess what I was kind of getting at is when it's happening in the Empire, you know your Empire is maybe getting ready to fall, historically. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, every time. I, I, I think it's more a symptom than a problem, the fact that we'd be vulnerable to this. Because yeah. it's, it's happened before. China tried to help out Bill Clinton's campaign in right. 96, and it didn't really move the needle. I, I think they ended up fraudulently collecting a couple hundred thousand dollars in donations that they returned to somebody, and in the end it was wrongdoing. They just they snuck it to them in a way that made it hard to catch. But now you have you know, one side kind of openly cheering for foreign interference. It's, it's no longer a thing that people want to find and root out. Right. Well, though, I, I, if I recall correctly, under the super PAC law, what happened in that in Clinton's campaign is completely legal now. Can't foreign governments donate to a super PAC? I don't believe so. Because we can't. Or if they, because we can't stop them, because we can't tell who donates to them, because it's anonymous. Yeah, so but there are still laws about what they're allowed to take in, and I don't. Believe, they are allowed to take in foreign funds for like operating costs, but any election expenses, I believe, have to be domestic. Oh, okay. So a foreign nation just gets an LLC in the states and then makes a super PAC. That would probably work. I'm not like yeah. an election law expert, but if I recall yeah. correctly from what Colbert's big thing on the super PACs, I think that that's very easily done. Yeah, that would that would not surprise me in the slightest. Uh, yeah, at all. The uh, the other bit of foreign bribery news that comes in all this is uh, Michael Cohen, which we'll talk a little bit about with his uh, <laughs> duel of Illuminati, but it's now also. And one of the few stories about American politics I think I've ever seen the BBC, of all people, break. Their uh, Kiev bureau pulled up a uh, an outright bribe paid to Michael Cohen, $400,000, to get uh, access to the Trump administration set up a meeting. Yeah. Um, and apparently the president of Ukraine was very uncomfortable with this. He didn't really think it was a good idea, but they had expected Hillary Clinton to win. They had no contact with was that the Trump administration had removed the bit about uh, helping Ukraine against Russia from the, the platform. And so they were looking for a way in to maybe get to know the guy, and they settled on bribing Michael Cohen. Well, I mean, they weren't wrong. I was going to say, it seems like a lot of people settled on that one. And that was what it said on the doormat, Brock. We just brought a briefcase like the invitation said. <laughs> and just proving Cohen is, uh, well, true to his M.O., he apparently was able to provide nothing of value. Yeah. 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 He left Ukraine pissed. They, they were not happy. They thought their $400,000 was a waste. That really continues to be the funniest part for me about all of these stories. Is <laughs> like, Trump's like master fixer, like this dude that does, I mean, nothing well, but is so perfectly Trump's fixer. Because, of course, you would have the most like bumbling income food <laughs> as your fixer if you are in the Trump family. Because you're only ever up to stupid shit. Like, no intelligent, self respecting lawyer would, or even criminal lawyer, would be your fixer. 
Like that, they're just too stupid. You have to have a guy who's just as stupid as they are, who thinks, "Oh yeah, this is going to be a good plan. This is going to work out." Uh, so Cohen so also. Sorry, continue. Uh, well, I was just going to say he also um, arranged a Trump Tower meeting for one of the Russian oligarchs. Is the latest thing that's come out in the last day or so. That does not surprise me whatsoever. Which oligarch was it? Uh, that I'm not going to pronounce his name right, but it's like uh, Vexel. Oh, Vasily. So he was the same guy who'd given him the five hundred thousand dollar payment, but it now turns out that he actually had uh, during the I believe it was pre-inauguration, but post-election, arranged for a meeting for him in Trump Tower. Okay. Oh, Victor Vexelberg. Yes, Vexelberg. And as someone pointed out, this is actually the fourth meeting that we know about that happened to some senior, well-connected Russian somebody <laughs> in Trump Tower during either the election or the pre-inauguration phase. That, you know, not suspicious at all. It's not like we no. have a you know, domestic enemy in the White House. It's totally normal. No, I think, I mean, I remember, like, the Clinton campaign often met with senior um, Iranian-connected officials. Yeah, and, you know, her, her 2000 run for Senate, her, her press secretary was Muammar Gaddafi. It was, it was, it was normal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's Cohen and, and Avenatti getting up to? I saw a bunch of news uh, about Avenatti in the news this week. Uh, his former law firm had gone bankrupt, slapped with a... Uh, $10 million judgment, and for some reason, everybody in the right thinks that means the Stormy Daniels case is being dismissed, even though that's <laughs> not his law firm anymore. He left them a while ago to start his own practice. These are subtle distinctions. I, I don't know what you're getting at with that. Yeah. He, uh, he was the partner in a former firm. He left the firm to start up a, a solo outfit, which he's at now. Yeah, but someone connected with something did something maybe that doesn't look good. Therefore, the whole topic is discredited. <laughs> uh, Cohen is pushing for the Stormy case to go on even when Cohen's facing other charges. Uh, it initially looked like this was going to be easily avoided by Cohen, putting this off until after the, the federal case. But uh, Avenatti thinks he might be able to charge ahead with it. Correct. And it uh, looks like he's also calling for people to look into Giuliani's finances and the other lawyers, uh, the rest of Trump's lawyers. I mean, that's like shooting fish in a barrel, man. You give me access to Giuliani's bank accounts, I can probably find 14 federal crimes. I was going to say, like, there's definitely dirt in there if you can track down Giuliani's money. I mean, once you figure out where the offshore accounts are, it's all got to be all dirt. There's no way that that man is clean. At least not now. When he was like young and fresh-faced and went behind the ears of the prosecutor, he probably lied. But he's just kind of yeah, sure. He didn't have enough power to be super dirty yet. Yeah. And I, I mean, even as mayor, I don't. I was, he didn't even have his own life together, man. He ended up having to live on some gay guy's couch for a couple of weeks because his wife kicked him out of the governor of the mayor. I mean. 
the mayor of Stop and Frisk is definitely up to some dirty criminal shit. <laughs> I just think Giuliani is the type who goes like sleazy in his old age. Like when he doesn't have a job anymore, that's when he starts taking the end of the cable money. Yeah. Well you gotta have some kind of retirement hobby when you And when yelling you're about nine eleven from your front porch is not a hobby. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't that what they use Fox News for? Isn't that like the old white man's front porch these days? Oh, man. So one of the things that interests me about the whole Avenatti thing is the, um, you know, he he put out all those details about the financial transactions. And the initial question everyone had was, where, because it quickly turned out to all be verifiable. They were like, where did he get this? And it turns out he actually got it from someone in law enforcement who had access to the um, Treasury Department's database oh, where they so flag suspicious finan- financial transactions. Yeah, and uh, really, so the the claim was the the whistleblower brought this out because they had noticed some transactions disappear. Um, and right. I, I I guess, and I'm not sure of this. I, I've only seen in passing, but I guess that's. Has been debunked in some way. Uh, they were actually just moved out of that database into a suspicious transactions database. I haven't seen that. Um, I'd be interested in seeing that. But yeah, that they were alarmed because several earlier Cohen flag transactions were no longer around, and they were like, "Hmm, is somebody moving these out?" Yeah, and that's where Avenatti got it. Which is where we were. We were curious about that. I, I, you know, how did he end up with that? I still am, am curious about that. Wouldn't a whistleblower go to the news media with that and not? I mean, sure, he's high profile, but he's still just a private practice attorney. Unless the guy paid him off. Well, I mean, no. he was less a, a whistleblower and just like a connect. You are right. I could totally see Avenatti paying somebody off for that. And yeah, I don't even I mean, mean he's definitely bad, a greasy attorney. Like, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you need a criminal attorney. What's that line from Breaking Bad? Yeah. Uh, and we're. <laughs> I think we are not done seeing Michael Cohen's name. Uh, Cohen seems like he's fucking screwed. I think he's going to get as big a spot in the history books as Trump, and that's going to possibly and ultimately be the thing that kills Donald Trump. There would be some poetic justice in the notion that Trump's fixer is the one that brings him back. Like, yeah. The, the cosmic for, irony of that. <laughs> and for really stupid stuff, too. <laughs> for basically just like sheer graft of trying to get all these payments for access for people who he didn't even give any access to. <laughs> or fucking healthcare <laughs> policy expertise. Oh, it's like the used car salesman of graft. The most, like, terrible explanation of that I could possibly see is that the company paid Michael Cohen for healthcare policy expertise, totally thinking that meant pay him and get what healthcare they want out of the Trump administration. <laughs> and Cohen shows up 
in like full on, you know, $20 Walmart scrubs and a stethoscope trying to like get really excited about the idea that they're going to learn about healthcare. Like I'm just just like, what are you doing? <laughs> I would love to see that. That seems very plausible. <laughs> the, the lovable moron interpretation of Michael Cohen. <laughs> oh, man. All so right. There's also been some Roger Stone rumblings. Um, some people are thinking that there's indictments coming down on him. And what what we do know is Those that people, by the way, include to... Roger Stone. I yeah. was going to say, yeah, he's recently been on TV saying some crazy things. Yeah, he's, he's been on TV saying he's about to be indicted. <laughs> I mean, you Just never like know everybody who's Stone. about to be indicted here. Oh, man. They're, they're sort looking of to his finances, right? Yeah, well, so they've talked to his accountant. They've talked to the person who was like his driver and his personal aide. Um, they've obviously scared the crap out of Sam Nunberg. So <laughs> they've been <laughs> kind of working their way around people around him. So it certainly seems likely that they are trying to get something indictable there. I would be interested to see what it is. Again, kind of like with uh, Giuliani, you know there's no way that Cohen doesn't have shady some kind of shit going on. Stone has... Uh... It's been confirmed uh, just in this last week or two that he was in contact with WikiLeaks far earlier than he said he was. Yeah. In terms of exchanging email, I'd be a little bit surprised if he wasn't bankrolling something or other for them. Like, you just know that if you get him under oath, like, there's got to be a good 70% chance he perjures himself because he's just so used to lying anyway. Or he just straight up admits everything. He's not been the subtle lying That would type. be hilarious. He's up there threatening Al Franken with damaging information a week before damaging information with <laughs> Al Franken comes out. He's up there right. calling his shots in front of everybody. He's not the yeah. lying type. I could totally see him walking into a grand jury and being like, every one of you motherfuckers who votes to, like, send charges on me is getting capped. <laughs> and then he everybody sits around trying to figure out if Roger Stone is joking or not. Alright, let's, uh, since we've only got about ten minutes left, let's move it to the local stuff. Uh, which is mostly going to be JJ for a bit, and then I'll talk about something I happened in Portland yesterday. Uh, but JJ, Amazon and Starbucks have reacted to the city passing the amended head tax. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? That article has the biggest hairballs I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Do you like Bezos balls? I, I've heard you mention them before, but I don't think I've actually seen them until now. Those are testicles. They are. Um, I, I thought there's it was a couple like actual balls. Too, by the way. Jesus. Okay. Anyway, tell us about the tax. And if you'd like to visit Jeff Bezos' testicles, Brock, I believe that you can, a month in advance, make a reservation online. I, and on certain weekends, you can go visit those balls. They're not like open to the public. You have to make a reservation. Yeah. Yeah, they don't let people walk in there. It just looks like a they, garden. Like, I thought it was a garden you could walk through. No. No, it's actually work. Uh, so it's a 
a rainforest biosphere workspace for Amazon employees. For, rather, I'm sorry, a very certain class of Amazon employees, I believe. I would love to have that job. I'm just looking at that. You're working in a fucking jungle. I mean, in a giant pair of testicles, but still. The pictures I've seen of it are gorgeous. They actually initially were not going to open it to the public at all. And it was like that for, I think, the first two months before essentially so many people were pissed that Amazon was like, okay, we'll let you visit it. I think it's like one weekend out of the month. Okay. You can like register to, to visit. So yeah, that'll be a great segue to <laughs> follow up on, uh, you know, news of the head tax that was passed a couple of weeks ago. Um, last week, both Amazon and Starbucks put out what I thought was a comically whiny statement, each of them. Um, I won't read them verbatim, but essentially uh, they, let's see, Amazon's statement railed the city of Seattle for misspending their money, saying that city of Seattle revenues have grown dramatically in seven years, from $2.8 billion to $4.2 billion. Um, and that the city's misspending their money, and that's why everybody's homeless. Um, which is both whiny and really callous. So my, my feeling on this, and we did discuss this a couple weeks ago, I, I think they're not necessarily wrong. More so their earlier response to this one directly callous and whiny but the earlier one that basically boiled down to we pay our employees well and they live in seattle we should tax them is not wrong but it misses the point that seattle can't because of washington's fucked up tax structure right yeah exactly and that and that of course is kind of you know been at the root of this whole issue is that the demands of the city so vastly outpace the demands of the state as a whole that we really do need some different revenue mechanism here. Yeah, the average income in Seattle is pushing six figures. The fact that you guys don't have a local income tax is ridiculous. Right. And property taxes only go so far. They're only hitting certain people. And yeah, young people don't buy. I mean, even if you're making $200,000 a year as an Amazon engineer, you're still probably renting a condo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. At this point in time, most people are renting condos, I'm pretty sure. Um, Oh, so so yeah, the, the Starbucks thing essentially was the same thing. This city continues to spend without reforming and fail without accountability while ignoring the plight of hundreds of children sleeping outside. I love the made up five year old. But really, really hate when a company gets all high and mighty about children sleeping outside when they're making the argument that they shouldn't have to pay money to stop children from sleeping outside. The Starbucks it's, statement at the end, the city pays more attention to the desires of the owners of legally parked RVs than families seeking emergency shelter. Those are the same people, dumbasses. Right? You know, 
Who do you think I is actually, in those illegally parked RVs? Homeless families. So I actually had to look this up because I was like, wow, that seems like a really hard left turn in your statement. Like, where'd these illegally parked RVs <laughs> come from? Like, I thought we were talking about homelessness for fuck's sake. So it turns out it's actually not what you were thinking, Brock. It is actually like retirees and like other people partying around in like Queen Anne and uh, Magnolia, like the Ritzier districts, the Ritzier residential districts, and people will just leave their RVs there because it's a nice neighborhood. Are you serious? And it upsets the super wealthy people, and so the city has to spend a bunch of money towing this because these entitled rich assholes are like, Summer's RV's been on my street for two days. And the city has to shell out all this money for this, like, complete bullshit, like, NIMBY culture that's going on. Okay. See, it, we actually so have like, a, a big problem with illegally parked RVs for, for, like, homeless here in Portland. Most of the city parks are, like, lined with them. Um, oh, interesting. The outside. Yeah, there's been one parked in front of my apartment building for a couple months now and whatnot. Yeah, so I, I thought it was that. At least uh, the the couple stories I saw were yeah about like Queen Anne and Magnolia, all these like rich shit districts. That's ridiculous. It's pretty funny. All right. Well, uh, so the head tax, they got most of what they wanted. Like, well, I mean, they probably most wanted not to happen at all, but uh, they got the lower amount even after the city council declined to give the, the mayor the lower amount. They went back and revoted, I guess. And they, they gave him the lower amount. Oh, I thought they went for the the original bill. Yeah, and then that's what they agreed to in committee and threw out the, the mayor's bill, but then when it went to the full city council, they, they agreed to the lower amount. Oh, damn. Well, what a bummer. Then, like, honestly, Amazon is, I mean, whatever, even at the big amount of money, it's its a drop in the goddamn bucket for these companies. Like, as, as the point that I made on the Facebook page, like, Amazon could have paid the entire estimated revenue from this tax themselves, and it would barely affect their first quarter profit. Yeah, and it Amazon would affect, is, I believe, 1% of their first quarter profits. Amazon is also a very lucky business in the sense that they can basically show whatever profit they want to and they need to. Uh, Bezos' business plan since the mid-90s when he started has been to plow all that money back into Amazon. That's why they usually show a loss. Uh, and then when people get angsty or whatnot, he just stops spending on the company for a month and that puts their fourth quarter profits through the roof and Wall Street's happy and their stock goes up and then goes back to quietly taking all the money that Amazon made and not giving it to anybody and just spending it on Amazon. Yeah. Which is why he really needs to pay up. Yeah, well, I mean, he's already got a very fungible idea of what profits mean. <laughs> I guess. That's so, fair. That's, so that's fair. Losing yeah. 1% <laughs> of it kind of totally fits into how he already does his business. Yeah, it feels like it wouldn't be too much. Yeah, profits are a, a vague concept for him already. He's got a spigot of money, and when it, the money needs to go to profits, he points to profits, and when it doesn't, he points it over to shit. 
which will come up in my story for the week. All right. Uh, I'll finish it up with a small talk about Portland. Uh, we had a scary moment yesterday. Uh, there was a attack. Uh, I'm sorry, what? I was just saying, ah, yes. Yeah. There was a uh, intentional attack on pedestrians in downtown, uh, black Mazda SUV, or blue Mazda SUV, uh, gunned its engine, tried to run over a number of people, hit three, uh, one of whom is in very serious condition, uh, had the car completely run over, there were skid marks on that. Um, it was initially, I, I had OPD or, or PBS or, um, or NPR affiliate on all day yesterday. And uh, we moved around the city was scared. It, it looked a lot like terrorist attacks we had seen recently in, in Paris and uh, London and New York and Montreal and all those with uh, the pedestrians being targeted right hand and all that. It, we don't know much now, but it's, it's looking increasingly not like that. It's an older white guy, uh, white girlfriend, but he looks like a neck beard, but he's a little bit older for that. He's, 70 or so, uh, with a history of mental health issues. We still don't know if it's terrorism or not, but it's looking like it's not connected to anything larger. So please shut down uh, a good chunk of downtown yesterday for quite a while. Colleges, campus classes, get people on the streets. Uh, yeah, just be vigilant out there, people. This, this is a scary time to live in. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... No joke. I seriously spent a lot of yesterday thinking that Portland was going to go back to this again. So. Damn. All right. Well, we'll we'll go with what we're following this week. Uh, Chris, why don't you start it off? What's the story you're going to be following? There was some I extra am. In there. <laughs> um, I would like to see what Mueller is cooking, because I do have a feeling something is going to drop soon. Some indictment, some subpoena, <coughs> some... All right. Uh, if you were a betting man, who do you think uh, is getting indicted first, Kushner or Stone? I think Stone, because I think there's, there's an understanding that if you do anything with Kushner, you are at another whole level of war with the... <laughs> administration <laughs> so you better be prepared to pull the trigger on a lot of stuff at once if you're going to go that route okay yeah that's a good point if, if you go after the prince you better you that's better not be taking papa bear down <laughs> all right uh i'll go second here i'm gonna go with sports ball although there is no ball in my sports uh the stanley cup playoffs are coming to their head with the finals going on uh, this is a kind of a magical moment, a, a wonderful final. I would have preferred the Winnipeg Jets to come in. It has been 25 years since the Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup. They, alas, fell to the Golden Knights. Their first year as a team, the Golden Knights, and they're in the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're the expansion team out of Vegas. Their goalie, Flurry, has been knockout good. He has been insane. He knocked out my Sharks in the playoffs. He, he knocked out the Jets. Uh, they're playing the Capitals. Ovechkin is, Ovechkin is probably the, the greatest player not to have a Stanley Cup. And he is getting old. He is getting extremely old. Uh, this may be his last year to do it. Uh, the 
Capitals. This is the farthest they've made it. They actually have a chance here. Uh, the Golden Knights are a great story. I like the expansion team, but I, I want Foley to get his, his Stanley Cup. So I'm pulling in the Capitals for this one. Nice. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh So, yeah, I alluded to, like, well-spent Amazon money. Um, one of my favorite shows airing right now, The Expanse, uh, got canceled last week by Sci-Fi Channel, sadly. But, thankfully, was uh, picked up, I think, yesterday or today, officially by Amazon. Uh, it's an absolutely excellent show. I know I've talked about it before, but people should totally watch it. Uh, they've gone, like, full Halo now. Like an alien species, like a protomolecule fuel, fused with a asteroid base crashed into Venus, launched away from Venus, and then built a ring out in the outer Jesus. edge of the solar system. So shit's gotten real crazy. Holy And God. there's amazing politics as well. It's a really good show. Amazon has really done some great stuff with their original programming, and their, their sci-fi stuff in general. Um, I, I was a real big fan of their Man of the High Castle uh, series. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining me this week, guys. And uh, we'll be back next week probably without Dan, so if Chris is available, you'll hear him again. Hey! Alright, cool, have cool. a good one, guys. Alright, you too. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Bye.